You guys are listening to Tech TV podcasting series. In our show, we bring you the best in technologies, innovation, startups, fintech, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, and the latest and the greatest in technology worldwide. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. You guys are listening to Tech TV podcast. And like I promised, Matt Trask and Dr. Han are right here with me with a great podcast on artificial intelligence. So, um, oh, I want to ask you guys to get closer to the mic because it's a little bit uh, kind of far out. But um, yeah, hi, hi guys, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us on. It's great, Good. thank you. So, tell, tell tell us a little bit more. You know, people are always wondering artificial intelligence, and they're like, okay, what is that? And they have all kinds of different like ways of uh, thinking. What artificial intelligence? In, 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 for, for, for the technical and non-technical person, what is, what is AI? How do you define that? Oh, it's such a good question. Well, you know, to start, I think it's, it's a new way to create technology. It's a new way to create apps. And so first and foremost, we're going to be able to do things we couldn't do before. And so let's think about that for a second. What is it? So what's something we couldn't do before? And I think if we go back um, as recent as 2007, uh, there wasn't a computer on the planet that could accurately tell you the difference between photographs of, say, cats and dogs. And uh, this is really kind of, kind of wild and kind of shocking because now we're just so used to putting a photo onto Facebook and having to know who it is, putting a photo onto Internet reverse search and having it find tell us what it is now. And um, this was a capability that was just beyond computers and math and science, taking in a photograph and asking the computer, saying, what's in this photo? Right. So in a sense, AI is a change in the ability to solve these kinds of problems. And we can now solve this kind of problem for the first time. Great, great. And then one interesting question everybody always does is that what's the, the background required for somebody like you to be an expert in AI? What's the, what, what do they need to learn to be an AI expert? Well, everything and nothing, right, in a sense, because <laughs> there's, there's so much opportunity right now. and it's not just for the technical folks anymore. You know, I, I was watching a talk recently by a, a famous computer scientist named Don Knuth. And he was saying that in 1995, he was sick of internet. Uh, 1995. Email, 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 okay. And he said after 20 years, he had been tired of checking so many emails. And I thought, what are you talking about? So he got his email address in 1975. <laughs> I mean, this, is just, this, is, this is extraordinary. Most people didn't get an email address today. They had to worry about some kind of like a millennium, you know, 2005 right, right, or something. Right, right, right. Your bank required it. And um, so the idea was he was a computer scientist. So in 1985 and 1992, if you weren't a computer scientist, you had no business bothering with electronic email, right? It just wasn't really worth your time. And I think that's how AI was uh, 10, 15 years ago. If you weren't sort of a computer researcher, you weren't some kind of, you know, scientists who just cared about, you know, how this thing work in the abstract sense. Um, it was a little too technical of a field for most people. But that's not true anymore, right? Just like email and internet is for everybody now. And you don't have to know anything to set up a new email account. You don't have to be an expert to jump on the internet these days. Uh, in, in fact, it's the younger generation that's probably the best at the social media and using all the bells and whistles because they just, they just see it as normal. And so I think with AI right now, anybody can jump. It doesn't matter what, what your background is. It doesn't matter if you've ever heard of AI before. There's an opportunity for everybody. So basically what you're saying is that in the past, maybe AI was a little bit like a, like a black box and very few people knew, understood what it was. You used to turn it on, it was kind of magic. 
But then today, and, and if I have told the story, like I did like a master's in, in, in uh, adaptive sampling and I use physiologic. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, ne- I never, ever for a job ever said that I did that. <laughs> now you should, right? Put it back on the resume. Like I, it, yeah, I, I put it back on the resume because I was like, you know, I don't, I, because I saw people when they were asked, when they were asked, what do you do for your master's or your PhD? Or, oh, I use a neural networks. I said, what? Was, okay, no, forget about it. It was in, it was in mobile computing. <laughs> it wasn't wireless. So, but, but, but again, like your background is pretty, pretty impressive. Like, I mean, you're, you're a very humble guy, but like, tell us a little bit of your, you have a PhD in, in, in this particular field and you're a specialist. Yeah, I got, I got really lucky um, getting access to computers really, really early on. Um, this is a kind of a funny story, but my, the first adult word that I remember learning how to spell was install. <laughs> <laughs> because if I could type, if I could type install on the keyboard, my game would turn on. Oh, okay. This was the okay. DOS era before mouse even existed and all that. So okay. I got to, I got to use computers early often, um, and got to sort of see, got to watch them sort of transition over the years, right? Uh, as they as they improved over and over and over again, and then I got really lucky to to study what's now called neural networks, starting back around 2003, 2004. I first came across this this idea, and um, it was almost like a challenge. I was in this class, we were trying to computer model things, and we were looking at uh, modeling populations of animals in the forest and modeling different physical systems. And I had heard from the professor. He said a year before, one of the uh, students had tried to model a neuron. Okay. And it didn't work. And I, I took that as a, as a challenge. I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to figure out what, you know, that sounded so wild to me that we, we would simulate a brain cell. Uh, and this was just sort of one cell. And that was exciting at the time. And now fast forward with the computers over the last 20 years, we can now simulate billions, essentially, of these little brain cells. And um, that sounds kind of fancy. You know, that sounds like it's some esoteric thing. But it's really not that different than, uh, say, a giant Excel spreadsheet, in a sense. We have some data input. It might be some measurements that we took from some physical device, or maybe it's from some company measurements, some survey that we're doing. And then we want to answer questions about that data. And so that's what I've been, been looking at for about 20 years now, is how do we take these ideas from neuroscience, from the brain, from you know intelligence systems, and then use them to build essentially apps, uh, to build software that can sort out data and answer questions that previously would have either just been too difficult or too expensive to answer. And I think the population might be wondering, so what's going on with uh, Google and their AI? And then how far are they to, to, to actually make some sort of uh, realistic AI? Yeah, it's a great question. I think we're both farther along and further away uh, than people think. In terms of farther along, some of the things that, uh, let's jump back a bit. You know, if we, if we were to have this conversation 15 years ago, we would be talking about the things that artificial intelligence couldn't do yet. You know, say it was 2005, we'd say, uh, well, they're not very good at writing poems and they're not very good at drawing, drawing, drawings. They're not very good at oil painting and they're not very good at composing dance moves and stuff like that. Well, now in 2023, as almost, right, uh, we're going to be able to do those things. We can generate fantastic poems. We can generate art that wins contests. Uh, the, these, these systems can generate new novel dance routines and, and so on. Um, and so I think that's what's just so exciting is being able to do these things we wouldn't have dreamed of doing before. So basically, like uh, when, when people are saying, like uh, seeing like GPT project or open AI, is that like the mecca of AI or, or there's more work done by like the, the, the Facebooks and the Googles and 
or even the research industry. Actually, if I could comment on Google, one of my sons is a software engineer at Google. Okay. Up in their Cambridge Mass Labs. And about five or six years ago, he said, Dad, I can't talk to you about what I'm working on anymore. I said, well, why not? Well, we put some AI into the browser and it scared people, so we're not allowed to talk about it anymore. They used to have an option. I think they pulled it away for exactly this reason. But when Google would show you an ad, you can report feedback. And you say this ad is not relevant or I don't think it's appropriate. Or one of the options was the ad knew too much. And this was a button that you could provide some feedback back to Google. I remember that. Yeah. And, and, and it, it was saying it was creepy. You know, um, I know somebody who was saying that they were at a, a friend's house and they don't own a cat, but their telephone started picking up. They, the, the cat in the house started meowing. And a couple minutes later, they got advertisements for pet food. <laughs> you know, and they don't even own a cat. So these things are are sort of, uh, you know, out there. I think we need to get people aware of how quickly these systems are evolving, let's say, or how quickly the capabilities are growing on these systems. But if you, let's say you're a younger kid, you have like maybe like a undergrad in, let's say, math, computer science, or maybe like literature, if you want a little language processing, what would you be the best advice, especially you running the sandbox at FAU? What's, what's the advice you give to those students every day if they want to learn AI? Um, jump in. You know, the, the best time to plant trees was 100 years ago, but the second best time is today. That it, <laughs> it's, it's never too late to learn about this stuff. The best place to learn about it is things like this. Podcasts, uh, YouTube is probably the greatest resource on the planet right now for learning about this content. Um, when I first set out to do this kind of stuff, I had to get you know, books in the library and copy the equations down and, and try to translate everything. And you don't have to do that anymore. Now, with the open source movement that has exploded, uh, largely due to the success of AI, with websites like GitHub, where everybody in the world will just put their best code onto, onto the internet. And there's almost sort of uh, a, a race to give away, right? Like an arms race to who can give away the best codes faster. And so Microsoft and uh, OpenAI and DeepMind and Google, they're all competing they say, we've got the best AI, and here's where you can get the code, and here's where you can download it, and here's where you can run it. And some of these AI systems cost over a million dollars just in electricity. <laughs> Not, you know, forget the servers, and forget the hardware, just the electrical bill. And now what's amazing, it's kind of like um, a big symphony production, right? You got the $25 million conductor, you've got the whole Philharmonic or whatever. To put on that production is very expensive, but then you can just give out the, the MP3. And that's kind of what, what these, these AI systems are, is everybody can now download that million dollar AI brain, like an MP3 file, essentially, and it can small enough to download to their computer, and then they can ask it questions. And then in, in, in your view, let's say in the next uh, decade, how do you see AI evolving? Do you see a, like, a, like a 2X exponential every year? So that in 10 years, like what we see today would be like so primitive that it would look like Toys. Yeah, I think I think we have to assume that um, we've we've crossed some real thresholds just recently. Um, so for a good example, uh, it, it used to be just a couple of years ago, you know, five years ago, if you wanted to make a system that uh, could tell the difference between cats and dogs, like I was saying, what you would do is you would get about 50,000 photographs, you know, 25,000 cats, 25,000 dogs, and you put them in as a database and you shuffle them all up. And then you would rapid fire quiz the AI and say, do you think this is a cat? Do you think this is a dog? And it gets it wrong at first. Right. And then it slowly, slowly learns to improve. Now what they've done is they've taken two different AI, the camera AI, the one that looks at the photographs, and a completely different AI that reads text, the natural language, like you were saying. And they have that AI read Wikipedia and look at all of the captions and all of the images together. 
and it learns now to associate language and text together. So you've seen these image generators. You can say, show me a dog with a blue hat, and it will create a picture of a dog wearing, wearing a blue hat. But what's nice about this is you can now use this to label data in, in, in new ways. And so rather than having to collect all those photographs for cats and dogs to do the training, I can just say as a sentence, is this a cat? Is this a dog? And because it knows language so well, it can now tell the photographs apart without having to look specifically at cats and dogs to do the training. It's seen enough of the internet that like a well-educated you know, general person, you can give them a new task, look for the car keys or something like that. So you're saying that the data scientists are, are going to go away? <laughs> no, 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 I, I don't think so, I don't think so. I mean, it might- <laughs> Data scientists will be like, oh, why do we need you? <laughs> I, I agree at first glance, it certainly seems that way, but it seemed that way you know, 20 years ago. If we think about the internet and smartphones, we have more people involved. Uh, think about just photography itself. Right. If we had said, uh, You know, the camera is going to replace all of the, the, wet, the wet lab and the red light room and, the, you know, doing the, uh, the wet photography kind of process. Uh, we would say the photography is going to go out. But there's way, way more photographers now, you know. Yeah, especially with the proliferation, proliferation of, of, of devices. And how do you see the, 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 that device that we say right now is running on a big data center, deep learning, this? How far are we from, like, bringing that intelligence to the edge, to the mobile phone? Yeah, that's a great question. I think... I think it'll always be, to some extent, half and half. I think there's going to be some capability, sort of local, just like me, in a sense, as a human. I have some local capability. But if you hand me my phone, if you hand me my laptop, I'm suddenly capable of thousands and thousands of more tasks. So I think we're going to get a high-speed enough network connections that we won't really be concerned about where the brain is in the, in the loop. 5G. Yeah, exactly. And it'll just be fast enough that it'll, it'll feel like the brain is right behind, like, say, we were just looking at a ball cap. It looks like a baseball cap and has a camera in it. Actually, if I could speak a bit to you asked about the edge, what we refer to as edge technology and AI is what I've been working on with Dr. Hahn. Um, there are small and inexpensive devices, microcontrollers, Arduino-class machines, that we use to create embedded systems that have AIs in them that do machine learning. But we don't do the learning on the microcontroller. We do the learning on a big system. Then we can extract the graph with the weights and load it into a $6 microcontroller and make a very, very smart sensor. Um, I have a camera that I bought recently that did not cost a lot of money. It was just a cheap um, USB webcam, if you will, but it's a PTZ. It has, the camera can move, and it has an AI in it that can follow me if I move around the room while I'm you know, doing a presentation. So that's a good example of an edge system. It can't learn. There's not enough horsepower in there for it to be able to learn. The learning is done on big iron. But once the learning is done, the result can be put in very small and expensive systems. Yeah, I know, like precisely, right? Because I think people don't think AI is some like a magic trick. It's just it's just simple linear algebra math. If you if you see it in a very simple terminology, it's a matrix multiplication. <laughs> but the, okay, but the values of the matrices are the ones that are what the AI figures out. <laughs> That's the difficult side. It's not. But, I mean, it's not just any number. <laughs> but it's the speed. I mean, I mean the speed. It's almost right? inconceivable how fast. They can do these these calculations now compared to the desktop computers we had in the 80s. Um, it's like comparing, you know, riding a donkey versus a jet engine. And so it's technically still moving you in the right direction. It's still doing it, but it's just unbelievable speeds we have now. And then, and on that on that and on that end, basically, we had the the AMDA law to basically will say, okay, the computation is going to go this far, number of transistors, whatever. Is there any like equation like that for artificial intelligence yet? Somebody has come up with sort of like a Law. I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of the uh, 
it's like a whack-a-mole. So I'm skeptical whenever they try to say things like uh, Moore's Law's ending or something like that. No, because it just it kind of goes sideways. sideways. And um, the ability to make the chips as we currently make them now is probably going to change. But in general, we're starting to see optical computing. We're seeing quantum computing now. Uh, we're seeing things called spintronics, um, stochastic computing, all kinds of different flavors that I think we're going to, we haven't even begun to hit the, the boundaries yet. Wow. Wow. So, so, t- so if, if you were to say like right now, like uh, in terms of degrees in computer science, because remember like when computer science was created, you had a math degree and people start beginning informatics and computer science. But now I have computer engineering, you have artificial intelligence, you have signal processing. Where do you see in the next few years artificial intelligence and, and academics? Yeah, it's a great question. I heard about something, a really wild profession that's emerging right now. And these image generators, right? You put right. in a sentence, you say, show me a happy dog wearing a blue hat. Call it diffusion. Yeah, exactly. Stable diffusion, all these different, these different systems. Um, there's a skill emerging now of prompt engineer. Prompt engineer. Prompt engineer. Now, this is a human that's very good at getting the generators, the stable systems, the diffusion systems, to generate what you want, right? <laughs> so I want, you know, an elephant tiptoeing on a spider web, you know, singing or whatever. And if I did, if you just put in those naive words, you won't quite get the generation that you might be expecting. So you have to add sty- trending on art station and in the style of this and all these other kind of weird terms that give the AI more context. And so now there's basically a, a career, a collection of you know social media influencers, and, and, and eventually people have a career out of this, where they're getting very good. And so say you want to design a logo for a podcast or something like that. Um, they'll go in and they'll craft the sentence that goes into the generator. The precise sentence yeah. that doesn't work. So you know, we're all about the, the humans working together. One thing that we've seen in our lab over the last 10 years is with every advance of the capabilities of AI, we need more humans in our organization, not fewer. But like in terms of degrees, do you think like people will continue with traditional computer science degree, electrical, or it will be like machine learning with a neural networks engineer? There will be maybe like an like an NLP engineer, uh, data scientist engineer, or or do you think that that specialization could occur? Um, I, I think it might, but I'd almost rather it see it didn't. Um, you know, it might be a whole other conversation, but. I'm concerned that ultimately these technologies are going to disrupt the university system itself. Uh, but I think there's there's time. There's time for that. Um, but no, I, I think I think we run almost an unfortunate thing with the modern era of taking making too many specializations. You know, if we go back to Isaac Newton or, or saying there, <laughs> there was only one subject, you know, the, you know, the word scientist wasn't even come around for another couple hundred years. So, you know, he considered himself a natural philosopher. And I think, you know, nowadays, like you said, you can go to school for it to be a petroleum engineer or a paleobotanist or, you know, very, very uh, specific kind of kind of career things. And I'd like to see more general. I think this is one of the purposes of our, of our lab at the university now is to expose this kind of like the email, like we were saying in 1995. Okay. Now it's time to get email to the politicians, to the to the fi- bank, finance bankers, to the lawyers, you know, imagine all these all these groups that don't have this technology yet. So rather than seeing hyper-specialized computer science degrees, I'd like to see AI taught um, across the curriculum, like we would teach library science, the way we would teach English, the way we would teach, you know, basic So it'd be like, like, like a calculus, like you, then you have to have to, AI will be a class that will be taught as yeah, part of the curriculum. Exactly. So if you okay. go to a, a modern university, there's a, there's a whole handful of required courses 
that uh, we feel that just help a person be a well-rounded human being. And um, I think they've, they've grown in the last 20 years. It's great because people have realized that, look, these college students need to get experience in more outside just their technical field. And I think AI is, is no different, especially in terms of how it's changing the world. So I'm, I'm teaching a class this semester. And in the, in the first day of class, I showed them the stable diffusion where you put in the prompt and it makes the, these fake images. Just last week, I showed them the movie generator, <laughs> where it doesn't just create a, a, an image, it creates an animated GIF. It's moving around. And I said to the kids, I said, this didn't exist six weeks ago. When, when they when they register for the class, that wasn't even part of the potential. That's what I say, like the speed of this thing is so 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 humongous. Like, for example, I saw like I was thinking about doing like an, an NFT AI generator because mm-hmm. I work at NFTs mm-hmm. in the incubator. And then I'm okay, let me put a little bit of thought. And I start working with diffusion a little bit here, a little bit there. I I I get I got to the point that it was basically extracting the feature from a picture to start making the, the layers. And then I saw on YouTube project. AI NFT generator with other thing in GitHub. I was like, damn, they're like, you can't let that discourage you because it's just, it's just so early. And I want to remind everybody, you know, listening, just how early it is in this. I came across a chart not that long ago, and it was the percentage of the world's population that has access to the internet now. And uh, amazingly, this, this is over half, you know, it's getting really good and we expect to get in the next 10 years, you know, another billion people on the web. But what's really neat is if you go back to 2000 or 1999, which I know you were on the internet in 99 and I know you were on the internet in 99. If you go back less than one half, 1% of the world's population had ever been on the internet. <laughs> less than one half of 1%. Now, like again, you guys have probably already been on the internet 10 years or more. You were on the bulletin boards in the eighties and all this kind of stuff. So internet, 1987. Yeah, right. Well, that's yeah, my job. Exactly. Before the World Wide Web even existed, right? We, we had a bootleg UUCP to a university that was on Dunnet. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. So, so you don't realize how early you are. And I think that's how it is with, you know, a- NFT generation from art. That while it might feel saturated, it's saturated the way the internet it, was. It, it's, it's saturated to, to, to the world we can see, but yeah. it's not sort of for... And that and that goes back to, like, the, the, the usability question. And I think we're going to, like... Uh, in this part of the podcast, because usually we hit like 20 something minutes for one. And then we're going to continue with part two. So stay tuned. You guys are going to be releasing two great innovators here, experts in artificial intelligence, especially Dr. Han and Hilsey's breadth and depth of knowledge and AI. So uh, stay tuned. This show is brought to you by IGLA Communications at the Iglavator in Boca Raton, Florida.